Well, good evening. Hi, I'm Brendan. If we haven't met, I'd love to chat to you afterwards. Come and find me. Uh, I'm youth minister here at St. George North. I don't get to preach at 6.30 all that often. In fact, I can't remember the last time that I did. So it's really good to be here and have that opportunity. So as we come to God's word tonight, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word here to us in Luke 18. And Father, we pray that as we come to this word, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would soften them, ready to hear your word, to trust in you and to respond rightly to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as I just said, I'm youth minister here at St. George North, so I hope it's a good comfort to you to hear that I like my job. I like working with kids and with youth. It's something I really enjoy doing. I least of all, really enjoyed seeing these young people grow and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time or to, to keep on growing in him and keep on growing in their love and understanding of him. That's kind of par for the course. That's a given. But there are some other things about doing youth and kids ministry that I really enjoy as well. Things that maybe youth and kids love, but the adults kind of doesn't really cut it. Uh, one of those is when we uh, interview people, we have a bit of a tradition of doing would-you-rathers. Do you know those? You know you do a would-you-rather? Uh, some of you don't. Where you, you throw a bit of a question in while you're interviewing and you give people two options, okay? It's really simple. It could be something like, uh, would you rather Coke or Pepsi? Simple. Would you rather KFC or Maccas? Okay? Easy. could be something a little more interesting like, would you rather never be able to speak again or never be able to stop speaking. Okay, we're getting a little bit, a little bit different. Uh, would you rather eat a whole loaf of hard, stale off bread, or drink a whole glass of off milk? Okay, getting more important. Here's a really important one. Would you rather spend one whole month sleeping on the floor of a room with three centimeters of water, or would you rather sleep for one night in a room full of spiders? So these, these things really matter. No, they don't matter. They're not that important. They're just fun. But in today's passage, Jesus presents us with a, a, a much more pressing would you rather. He says this. He says, would you rather have option A or would you rather have Jesus? That's what he says. If you, if you can't have both, what would you rather have? Option A or Jesus? Well, what's option A, you might be wondering here? Well, I think what we're going to see tonight is that actually it doesn't matter what option A is. And the point that Jesus is making in today's passage is, will you trust in him above all else? Do you believe that any option A, no matter what it is, is worth leaving behind in order to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost is? Now, our, um, our kids' ministry and youth ministry, would you rather's, they're, um, you know, they're a little bit, uh, they're just fun. They're designed to, to have a laugh. But Jesus has this would you rather here. And today, I think his would you rather is kind of like a weapon. See, what it does is it, it cuts through the hard exterior. It cuts through that, that picture of ourselves that we present to people around us. And it exposes the truth. It exposes our hearts and puts it on display. And I think more importantly, what Jesus' kind of weapon here does is it cuts through that picture that sometimes we put up for ourselves. 
And it helps us to see the state of our own hearts for ourselves. And so as we come to this passage today, I want to ask you, are you ready to have your hearts exposed before Jesus? Are you ready to be challenged by Jesus to see if, if when it comes, push comes to shove, whether maybe there is something that you perhaps love more than Jesus, something that is taking the honor, the love, and the attention that is due to God. Maybe there is. And today, will you be challenged to drop it today, to leave it behind and to walk away from it and follow Jesus? That's what I'm hoping to see today. Now, as we come to this passage here in Luke's Gospel, uh, we're doing this in, in a series, as part of a series of uh, looking at people that Jesus met in Luke and, uh, and thinking about what happens in the encounters that he has with these people. So we're not going through all the passages in chronological order, and so it might help just to set the scene a little bit. So where are we? We're in the second half of Luke's Gospel, and Jesus is showing his disciples what it means for him to be the Messiah, to be God's chosen king, and what that kingdom that he is bringing in will look like. We're seeing what it looks like for Jesus, what it will cost for Jesus to bring that kingdom in. We're seeing what it looks like for disciples to be part of that kingdom. How do they enter that kingdom? What, what are the marks of people in that kingdom? How do you enter that kingdom? And all around the passages uh, in Luke 18, all the things that Jesus has been talking about, they kind of focus in and they look at what does it look like to trust God? What does it look like to trust Jesus? And there's a strong contrast between people that Jesus meets who are self-confident, they're self-righteous, they're trusting in themselves and their own abilities, and between those who trust Jesus. You see, those who trust in God are willing to listen to Jesus. They're willing to hear what he says and follow him. But those who trust in themselves, the self-confident, the self-righteous, they hear Jesus' words, but they're unwilling to listen. They're unwilling to follow. So here we are in Luke chapter 18. Uh, Jesus is somewhere outside the town of Jericho. He's been traveling down from, from, from Nazareth, from Galilee, uh, although we say traveling up when you're heading towards Jerusalem in the Bible because he's actually going up the mountain, even though you're heading south. There you go. Jesus is just somewhere outside this town of Jericho, which is about a day or so's walk from Jerusalem. That's his goal. So he's almost there. And as we're there, we meet this man who is looking for God. We're told in verse 15 that he's a ruler. We're told in verse 23 that he's rich. Okay. What's he a ruler of? What does he do? Well, it probably just means that he had a, a fairly high-ranking position in Israel. He, he was in part of the leadership in the town where he was. Uh, so he's a respected member of society. Uh, Matthew's Gospel tells us that this guy was also young. Uh, and if you're familiar with this story, that's probably how you remember it, the rich young ruler. And that's okay. Luke just tells us that he's rich. And that is a ruler. But we can call him the rich young ruler. That's fine. So what happens? Well, this encounter, it starts. And it looks really positive. Have a look at verse 18. What happens there? Jesus addresses the... Te uh, the rich ruler addresses Jesus. And it's really polite. He says, good teacher. That's great. Seems really good. And then he goes on and he asks a question. He says... What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
which seems like a great question to ask. You know, here's this guy, he's searching for a way to be part of the kingdom of God. It's really good. Now, this is one of those points where it helps if we just stop for a second, step aside, and realize that he's not actually asking what we think he's asking. Okay? Because if I ask you and say, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You're going to say, trust and believe in Jesus. That's what you're going to say, isn't it? Because you've got passages like John 3.16, John 3.36 ringing in your ears, they're in your brain, but this guy, he doesn't know about that yet. You see, Jesus hasn't gotten to Jerusalem, he hasn't died on the cross, he hasn't risen again after three days, offering the hope of resurrection to those who trust in him. He doesn't know about this. But he does have some scripture, some Bible in his brain. He's got Daniel 12. We don't have time to go into Daniel 12 and have a look at it now. But it's a passage from the Old Testament. And in that passage, it talks about the day when God brings in his kingdom. He talks about the resurrection from the dead. It talks about some are resurrected to life and others are resurrected to eternal damnation. That's how Daniel 12 talks about it. On that day when God brings his kingdom in. And so here we've got this rich ruler. And so what is he asking Jesus? He's saying, on that day when God comes and he raises the dead to life, how can I be sure that I'm part of those who are raised to life and not part of those who are raised to eternal damnation? He's saying, how can I be part of God's kingdom? It's a really good question to ask. How can I be, Daniel calls it, those who will shine like stars forever and ever. How can I be part of that? This looks really good. It seems like a really fair request. And so here's this guy. Uh, in the community, he's respected. He's a leader. He's, uh, he's doing his religious duties because he's at least reading Daniel 12. He's probably in the synagogues as well, discussing it and talking about it. Looks like a good guy. All the outward signs are good. And then Jesus replies. And what does he say? In verse 19, he says, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems pretty bizarre that Jesus kind of responds like that, doesn't it? He's, uh, is he overreacting? He's, he seems like he's being a little bit unfair to this poor guy who's just asking this really simple question. It seems nitpicky. Okay, if we read on, I think that what we're seeing here is that Jesus is already seeing something about this guy that we haven't seen yet, and maybe something that this guy hasn't seen about himself yet. See, Jesus is driving to the heart of the issue. This young man, he says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, but this young man actually has a problem with God. Have a look at verse 20. You know the commandments, says Jesus. Do you notice how he turns it onto the rich young ruler here? He says, you want to be in the kingdom? You, you want to inherit eternal life? You know the answer. Keep the commandments. Now, the rich ruler is probably starting to feel good about the direction that things are taking here. And Jesus continues in verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you can imagine the excitement for this guy at this point. Uh, it could be really overt over the top, or it could be kind of you know, casually understated, but he says, I've done that. Look at verse 21. All these I have kept from my youth, he said. 
The excitement is short-lived and whatever excitement there was, it fades pretty quickly because Jesus says there's a problem. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus is being a little bit tricky here. You can answer this question. This is a question for you to answer. What are the commandments that Jesus is talking about? You know the commandments. Which ones? About five people answered. Yes. Which commandments? That's a bit better. Good. Still not everyone, but I'll take that. The Ten Commandments. How many commandments did Jesus list? Someone said it, I think. Five. What's going on? What did he leave out? Commandment number one he left out. You shall have no other God before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make an image, you make an idol for yourself. Commandment number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment number four, keep the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. And what's the last one? Shall not covet, rob all over it. Is that because you remembered from this morning? Yeah. He knew it before, he'll claim it, he knew it. Commandment number 10. This guy might be looking good on the outside. Outward, outward, all outward signs and presentations are that this is a, an upstanding man in the community. He's got the religious stuff down pat. Maybe he actually is doing all those things he's just said, which means that the way that he's treating others is probably really good. And outwardly, he looks great. But Jesus says, when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to God, you're not doing so well. And he cuts right to the heart of the issue. And he says to this young man, you love yourself and your money more than you love God. Do you want to prove me wrong? Your money, give it away. All of it. Leave it behind and then come follow me. Does he prove Jesus wrong? He doesn't, does he? He goes away extremely sad. Because he was very rich, we're told in verse 23. See, this young man loves his money more than he loves God. He would rather have money and all the pleasures that it brings than to have God and have the eternal pleasures that he brings. He's chosen option A over Jesus, hasn't he? That's what he's done. So here's this guy who's looking for eternal life. But he doesn't find it. Because he's unwilling to love God by trusting and depending on him. Now, if we've been reading through Luke's gospel, one of the things that we would have seen again and again is that one of the clear marks of trusting in God is that people listen to and follow Jesus. That's what we'd see. They listen to him. They believe that what he says is the truth. And they act on it and follow after him. And so this rich ruler... He chooses his money over Jesus. He chooses his money over God. It shows that he doesn't love him because he's unwilling to trust by trusting and following in Jesus. So what is God saying here? He's saying this. It's better to have Jesus and have no money at all than to have lots of money and not have Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's a really extreme example. But again, it cuts right to the heart of the matter. It's a would you rather that forces us to choose, doesn't it? And it exposes our hearts. This rich young ruler, he trusts in himself. I will decide what's best for me, he thinks. I'll make sure that I have what I want. He listens to himself. He believes himself. I think I know what's best for me. And he acts on that. And instead of following after Jesus, he walks away from him. 
if he loved God, he would have listened to him. And he would have said, you know what, this is really hard. But you know best, and I trust you. And so if that's what I need to do, if I need to get rid of that, because that's standing between me and you, I will trust you and I will do that. And I will follow Jesus. Again, it's extreme, but it exposes the heart. Do we love God? Do we trust God? Well, the disciples, they certainly do, because have a look at what happens next. And this is one of my my favorite passages in the whole Bible, and I hope you'll see why as we look at it. Verse 24. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus' point is really simple. Can a camel go through the eye of a needle? If you blend it, maybe, maybe. But other than that, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. It's impossible. Hold that against what he says next. Can a wealthy man like this rich ruler enter the kingdom of God? No, he can't. It's impossible. See, what Jesus is saying here is shocking. This, this fine, upstanding young man, this pillar of the community, active in the religious sector, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He came to Jesus asking, what can I do to inherit eternal life? But, and Jesus showed him what he needed to do, but he, he was unwilling because he was unwilling to count the cost. It's impossible. And the disciples, they think this too. Have a look at their response. They are shocked in verse 26. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? Now, Jesus, he was originally just talking about the trappings of wealth, wasn't he? He was making the point that wealth feeds into our desire to be self-sufficient, to to trust in ourselves, to love our our stuff, our comforts, the privileges that come with our wealth more than we love God. And make no mistake, I say we here as well, on purpose, because we are wealthy far beyond the wildest dreams of most of the people that Jesus would have ever spoken to. And we need to, we need to remember that. We need to let the weight of what Jesus is saying here weigh on us and sit heavily. See, our wealth hardens us against trusting God. It just does. We, we lean on that. We, we trust in our wealth and our, our provisions that we have because of it to give us security, to give us peace, to give us comfort. But they're the things we're supposed to look to God for and to trust Him for. What about the disciples, though? Well, they hear Jesus' words and they think, if this fine, upstanding young man, this, this member of the community who seems to have it all together, if he cannot be saved, if he cannot be part of the kingdom of God, if he cannot inherit eternal life, then surely no one can. And what does Jesus say? He says, No, guys, the poor people are fine. It's just the wealthy who have the problem. Is that what he says? It's not, is it? He says, disciples, you're right. You've got it. Have a look. Verse 27. Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And this is why I love this verse. You see, whenever anyone becomes a Christian, whenever anyone turns from rejecting God, from trusting in themselves, and turns through faith in Jesus to trust and depend on God, the impossible is made possible. It is a miracle when anyone becomes a Christian. See, there is nothing that anyone can do 
to inherit eternal life. There is no one who is good enough to inherit eternal life. And that's the words this young man used, isn't it? That's what he said. By themselves, no one can enter the kingdom of God on their own. But God, who, who changes hearts, who works in people so that they no longer trust in themselves and their own achievements and their own efforts, but trust and depend solely on him. With God, the impossible becomes possible. Have a look around this room. This room is full of miracles. The impossible has been made possible. And we should praise God for that. And we should be praying that more of that would happen as well. But we don't need to just look around this room for proof that God can do the impossible. Because the disciples are themselves, they're living proof of this in this passage. And Peter, he realizes this almost immediately. Have a look at verse 26. Then Peter said, look... We've left everything that we have to follow you. So Jesus said to them, I assure you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers, parents or children because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life in the age to come. Wealth, property, family, possessions. The disciples have willingly left all of this behind in order to follow Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, you're doing it right. This is good. You are following me. You are members of the kingdom now and forever. And so at this point, we've got to come back to our question. Would you rather option A or Jesus? Because today we've seen a guy who was looking for the way to God, but ends up lost. And we've seen the disciples who lost everything, but found the way to God. Now, at this stage in history, we said this before already, the rich ruler, the disciples, they don't know what Jesus is going to do when he gets to Jerusalem. They don't know he's going to die on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. They don't know he's going to rise again three days later to offer the hope of eternal, uh, eternal resurrection for us who trust in him. They don't know about that. They don't even know exactly how Jesus is going to bring in the kingdom of God. But they just need to trust that somehow he will. But today we do know that, don't we? We've seen it. We're on the other side of the cross. We know that our sin is a problem. We know that we are lost because of that. We know that only in Jesus can we be made right with God because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. We know that he is the only way to have eternal life on that day when he returns to judge the world and escape eternal damnation. We know that. And so that means that for us today, that same would you rather is right in front of us. Would you rather follow Jesus and have eternal life, but no money, or have money and not follow Jesus and not have eternal life? Or maybe, would you rather follow Jesus and have eternal life, but no children? Or maybe have children and not follow Jesus and have eternal life? Or maybe, would you rather follow Jesus and have eternal life, but not have status, no social capital? Or would you rather have popularity but not have Jesus and not have eternal life? It doesn't matter what we put in there, does it? We can put all kinds of things into that sentence, but it doesn't matter because it's not about money, it's not about wealth, it's about trust. It's about trusting God when he says that anything that we love more than Jesus 
will stop us from following him. It might be success. It might be children. It might be grandchildren. It might be stuff. It might be sex. It might be following an ideal. You know, I just want to have an easy life. Whatever it is, it's a problem. And I want you to think now of what word, or maybe even words, that Jesus might put there for you. Now, I said at the start, tonight is a night where, are you ready to have your hearts exposed before Jesus? This is it, right here. Is there something, or some things, that you would have so much trouble giving up if you couldn't have both Jesus and that? Think, maybe you think, I, I guess I could give it up, but the thought of it, it just stings me. It really hurts. Do you have something? See, if you're already someone who follows Jesus, that, that word or those words that you just came up with will be one of the biggest temptations that you will need to fight this year. Because that, that thing runs the risk of being your God, of ruling your life, of leaving you walking away from Jesus Extremely sad because you are unwilling to count the cost and you love that thing more than him. And whatever you just said, I don't know what it was, but we're wealthy. And so on top of that, we need to fight against that temptation all the time. That is the world that we live in. And yes, those things might sting, but rest assured, Jesus is trustworthy and it is worth it. If you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, I want to ask, what's stopping you? Because what Jesus has to offer is more important than anything else in this world. And that offer of eternal life, it's, it's right here. All you need to do is to trust Jesus, to believe that what he says is true, to act on it and follow him. And if you want to talk to someone tonight about becoming a follower of Jesus, you can talk to me, you can talk to Rick, you can talk to Phil, but do something about it tonight. So what would you rather would you rather option A or would you rather Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word here. We thank you that this encounter with this rich ruler has been recorded for us, that we might be challenged, that our hearts might be laid bare before you. And Father, we ask that tonight you would search us and expose those hearts to see if there is something that we love more than you. And Father, we ask that you would help us to fight against that, to change it, and to turn to you in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.